Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? We're back. It's another week, week 37 of lockdown, and we're all still safe and happy. Fingers crossed you are too, still washing those hands, and we've got ourselves an absolute beast of a guest today. But first, before we get to him, big man, how you doing? I'm all right. Uh... Please to know I don't I'm not wearing the Alice band today. Um at a at a bath not long before uh, we started this, so the hair's somewhat cooperating. But if this had been <laughs> any other day then it would the Alice band has been on for the last few days. Um You're gonna start moosing up soon with like VO five or something. Say it's too it's too late for that. It's like a jungle back there. Like my hair's just crazy. Um just determined to see how far it goes now. Um uh, but all good. Yeah, we nine of lockdown which is weird is it? no it can't be it nine. is for me yeah since i've been locked down it's been week nine so that's been a long time um i realized that i could have done a lot of things in that time that i haven't done you know all those good causes like learning languages and stuff just completely not bothered to do any of that so i've not bettered myself in any way <laughs> that's not true that can't uh, be true i'm sure it is you, but anyway i'm not bothered it. how are you <laughs> Me, I'm good, man. I'm good. I, I think I've bettered myself by improving my writing style a little bit for the website. So, um, yeah, apart from that, I'm pretty much in your boat as well. So we're a two-man canoe up here. Well, let's make that a three-man canoe. And welcome to today's guest, podcast co-host of the Dynasty Diagnostic Podcast. And if that isn't a tongue twister to start off, I don't know what is. Writer for Roto Underworld with the podfather is Etan Mosier. Etan, welcome to Five Yard Rush, buddy. Did I butcher your name or how close was I? No, no, not at all. It's perfect. In fact, that's why I have it written out that way. So it's it's kind of like Eton, Econ, Eton, whatever you decide to say alive, uh, just to, to add a little bit of a, a joke to it. But but yeah, I mean, you know, Misery Loves Company. Uh, Adam, you told me you were an Arsenal fan. Stocks were Broncos fans as well. So uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm just here to, to, to make sure that we don't all go overboard. <laughs> well, I can't help but think that with Arsenal and Bronco fans, we're bound to. Um, it's just huh. it's just in our bloodlines. It's it's what happens. We'll have a good time doing it, though. That's the one thing I know about Arsenal fans and Denver fans is they all know how to have a good time. So um, we'll have a great time failing in a brilliant way. In spectacular <laughs> way, some would say. 
Um, but it's, it's good to good to have you on the show. It's uh, been probably too long. It's been a long time coming. I know we've chatted quite a bit. Um, I know a lot of people know know your work, but just keen to sort of get started a little bit more about you for maybe those that don't know who you are and uh, how you got into talking about fantasy football and 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 doing this thing. Yeah. Um, well, if you have to start at the start of the story, um, I um, went to school for political science. Uh, realized quickly that nobody actually does what they went to school for. Uh, so fell into the sales world um, and kind of absolutely hated it. And it wasn't necessarily my thing, but I still needs must moved up the ladder and uh, eventually now found myself in real estate sales. But on the side, I wanted to do something that I found a little bit more fulfilling uh, to me. And sports has always been a, a huge part of my life, always been a huge portion of my life in some way or another. And at one of my previous jobs, I was invited into a dynasty league by um, my boss, who at that time was sure he could take advantage of me. Uh, narrator spoiling this, he, he was absolutely correct. He, he did in that dynasty league. Uh, but that, you know, because I, I, I already mentioned I am an Arsenal and Bronco fan, so I'm a masochist by nature. So I decided to dive headfirst into it after that. Uh, embarrassments and uh, since then I've, I've been involved in many dynasty leagues and always wanted an outlet to uh, kind of just bounce some ideas off the wall talk to some people that I, I knew were much more smart were much smarter than me much more invested uh, than I was and, and kind of get their perspectives on what uh, they would do in, in certain team situations and whatnot and so I decided to go ahead and create the dynasty diagnostic and here we are I mean, it's an, an amazing podcast. And for those that, that don't know what uh, yourself and uh, Stompy or Sam Lane, um, former uh, Scott Fishbowl winner, uh, has been, whatever you want to call him, right? <laughs> <laughs> definitely has been. <laughs> yeah, definitely has been. Um, whatever you want to call him. Um, you, you guys host that show together. It's, it's terrific. It, it goes through. Well, I don't you tell, you'll sell it better than me. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah the, the whole motivation for that show was i just wanted to make it a little bit unique i mean there's there's thousands upon thousands of, of fantasy football podcasts out there um and dynasties even beginning to catch up it seems like everybody's making a new show pretty much every day and so what i wanted to do with the dynasty diagnostic is provide something that you don't often find in those shows one of those things is individualized analysis uh, that's still applicable to whoever happens to be listening. Um, and then the other thing is just being able to bring on uh, guests who I, I very much respect in the community they, that are able to then uh, go ahead and, and tell our listeners why metric A uh, that we often cite is important and why maybe this should be looked at in a different light, so on and so forth. Uh, just kind of peeling back the context from from what's actually happening to make things make a little bit more sense for dynasty owners. So that's that was the motivation behind the creation of the show. And I think if we've achieved any success to date, it's just because that we've kind of found a niche that was a little bit unexplored at the time, and are trying to do our best to to do that digging for our listeners. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic podcast. You you get so much out of it in the terms of the ways that you should construct a dynasty team to different ideas and, and ways of doing things. And, you know, I get a lot of people that ask me there, especially in the UK dynasties kind of starting to really boom. Now, I think over the last two years, you've got people with a real hunger and desire over here who have been playing fantasy football for the last two, three years. And so I think all oh, this dynasty thing sounds really cool. We want to get into that. And people ask me all the time, where do you get, dynasty rankings where do you get dynasty sources um what's a good dynasty podcast to listen to and you know i, I tell them that five year rush is, is the only one out there but then when they don't believe me um <laughs> i mention yours uh <laughs> because believe it or not despite being a salesperson i'm not a very good liar um but i do say that uh yeah i do say yours is is up you know is definitely one to, to listen to because i don't think it matters whether you have never played dynasty football before and are just looking to do that or if you've been playing it for 10, 20 years or however long, 
there's always going to be something in every episode that you're going to write down or know and take away and action and do. And I've learned so much listening to the two of you and the guests that, that you've had on. And, and I know our listeners will too. So um, if, if you haven't checked it out, they're, they're excellent podcasts. I, I loved it as well when you did the teams and people would submit really bad dynasty teams and you would give them ideas on how to tune them up and everything. It was, uh, again, so many great things uh, about the show. So, Definitely, uh, definitely check them out. Really appreciate that, man. Really appreciate it. Sorry, bro. Um, was that one that you sent in, Murph? Did you send your team in to get torn apart? I, I did. Um, we didn't get to it, but that's fine. Well, no, it was. I sent one into um, last year that was about. It was the red zone dynasty because it was an orphan I took over, and it was such a bad orphan. <laughs> <laughs> oh no well you know what you got to do now now that you've you, you've got a line uh to, to us go ahead and, and resend it and we'll get it in honestly um when we started this uh well let me let me actually go into the story of the whole dynasty diagnostic thing so i was doing written dynasty diagnostics for people uh, essentially people would send me their teams i would give them like a 20 yard a 20 page uh dossier on you know what their team strengths were uh, the stats that were important, so on and so forth, and send it back to them. And eventually I couldn't keep up with uh, the amount of demand, so I had to stop doing it. And uh, so, again, that's another reason why I decided to make it an audio form. And we didn't expect uh, to get just the huge number of teams uh, submitted that we got initially. We had I think even within a few days, we had something like 150 teams and we only do an episode a week. We're on like episode, I think uh, we're going to record episode like 68 or something today. So uh, things have kind of been been by the wayside a little bit, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we didn't see it or we weren't planning on getting to it. It's just there were so many that we honestly could not keep up with it. I wasn't offended anyway, to be perfectly honest. It, It... The strengths would have would have been all of about three seconds. I mean that car that team was a car crash. Um, it's why I took it on because it was so bad. Um, and what was what was funny about that team is it was um, a second year. Well, it was in it was going into its second year, wasn't it? So it wasn't even like it, it was an old team. No, no, no. It just <laughs> it just it'd been stripped for everything. It'd been stripped for picks. It'd been stripped for players. It'd been stripped for absolutely everything. I mean, it, it basically, if you were comparing it to a car, it had no engine, no wheels, no doors. Uh, it had basically the chassis, and that was pretty much it. And that and it was rotting and falling apart. It was it, it was like a, a Honda Fit that had been stripped of everything, and a Tramp was living in. That's it's pretty much. Really- <laughs> See, now, now I'm upset. I would have enjoyed uh, that roster. We would have had fun with it on the show. Oh, I mean, it's, it's still bad, but I've put some tires on it and it moves. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Hey, even if you have to push it with manpower, as long as it gets down the road, we're good. Uh, it was, uh, so my sole motivation for that team last year was the person who had it before me had traded away most of the picks. So there was a person who was sitting really pretty think, with my first round pick thinking well i've got the 101 nailed on i'm absolutely nailed on like this is no problem this guy will finish last um and i finished uh <laughs> finished sixth Ooh, <laughs> and my sole motivation thing. was just to purely push that as high as i could go so that was my motivation i rode the wire hard so i had a lot of pretty ropey players who just did it week in week out on the way for wire. hey Hey, whatever works, man. That's what I mean. It's got tires. It's still ugly as heck, but it moves. <laughs> the, the tramp is mobile. <laughs> uh, but anyway, no one cares about my fantasy teams. Um, no, let's let's talk about some real football teams. So, Etan, why the Denver Broncos? Why the Denver Broncos? Well, I mean, it's kind of the same thing asking me why Arsenal. Uh, I was sat down as a child. I was put in front of a TV screen. And my dad told me that we are Bronco and we are Arsenal fans. And I <laughs> never really had a choice after that. But, but yeah, I mean, I, some of my uh, most nostalgic experiences uh, with, with my dad and with my brother were waking up uh, early on, uh, on Saturdays, uh, going ahead and, and watching the Gunner games, and then uh, doing the same thing the next day uh, on Sundays and, and watching the Denver Broncos play. Uh, seeing John Elway, Ed McCaffrey, Rod Smith, Terrell Davis, 
uh, absolutely destroy teams, getting up you in the mile high salute every time one of those guys would score a touchdown. So, yeah, I was indoctrinated from a young age. I'm not sure I had a choice in the matter, but have if I were to have given myself a choice at this point, I, I would still probably go in the same direction. Like to that. hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, obviously, we're going to be talking about the 2020 draft in a little bit, but what do you make specifically of the Denver draft? Um, I think that Denver is is going all out on seeing whether or not Drew Locke is a capable starting QB. Um, I think all the weapons that they've uh, accumulated uh, in the draft are, are going to prove uh, very quality additions to a team that sorely needed them because the depth chart at wide receiver wasn't necessarily something that you could get behind. The depth chart at tight end included a lot of blocking tight ends, not a lot of guys uh, that could be considered um, dynamic down the field pass catchers of sorts. So adding uh, Jerry Judy uh, gives the Broncos an elite uh, level intermediate slot receiver that can probably do a lot more than that. Adding KJ Hamler is essentially a Brandon Cooks or a Tyreek Hill for the Denver Broncos. They're just trying to match what the Chiefs did in Tyreek Hill with that um, extreme over-the-top play that just opens up everything else. Uh, Alberto Gwedwunam uh, added to Noah Font uh, gives the Broncos two of the most athletic tight ends uh, in the National Football League. And I just expect these guys to be absolute beasts on the scene. And Cortland Sutton in and of himself is, I think, a top 12 receiver in the league right now, just sight unseen. Um, but when you add him to all of these other weapons, I just think that you have a team that's going to be uh, more able to convert first downs. It's going to be more able to find themselves in the red zone and more able to dole out those quality touches, those in-between-the-20s touches uh, for their playmakers uh, than they even were last year. And that's not even talking about Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay at running back. The only issue I would take with the Broncos draft is offensive line was still a huge issue for the Denver Broncos. And that was something that wasn't very much addressed in the draft. We got a project of sorts, I, I, I believe, but outside of that, uh, there really wasn't anything that makes this drastically different from last year. So what this tells me is one of two things, either, John Elway doesn't know what he's doing, and honestly, the, the jury's still out on that. The last two drafts have been decent, but before that, there were a lot of misses there. Or the Broncos feel that even if Drew Locke isn't great as a passer, if he's mobile, guys are going to get open very, very quickly for the Denver Broncos, which I think uh, will be another thing that, that might help Drew Locke's development. Um, a lot of people don't believe in a guy like, like Drew Locke, but I think when compared to his contemporaries like uh, Kyler Murray, like Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, just some of the young QBs drafted in the last couple of seasons, uh, his uh, completion percentage and avenue yards per attempt are actually about second on that list. Uh, you can add Minshew to that and all the rest of it. So I don't think he's a terrible quarterback. I, I think that the sample size was probably a little bit too small to draw too many major conclusions from. But at the same time, with all these weapons – this is going to be a situation where we're going to find out very quickly whether or not Drew Locke is going to be a 10-year starter this season. Yeah, and I think the addition of Judy and Hamler, I was really worried they were going to move up and take rugs because they definitely needed someone to open up the top. But I think getting Judy and Hamler addresses the depth situation in the wide receiver room, but also adds two really good weapons rather than getting a rugs and then going in a different direction. I think you mentioned we needed to address the depth at wide receiver and they did, and they got two really good receivers. So I was pretty pleased that they, and obviously Judy fell to us at 15, which was an absolute dream. I, and I, just on top of that, I would say that I, I think there's a third plan and I think it's the one that probably hasn't been discussed. But I can see Elway, you know, you've still got relatively good cap space. It's about eight, seventeen, eighteen million dollars. All right, you've got to sign the draft picks with that. You sort that down the road. Um, I still think you'll probably the second wave of free agency hasn't happened yet. And there's some good O line players that you can you can play for a year just to um, you know, buy yourself some time and address it next draft, where I think next year's offensive line draft is is pretty good. Um, you know, you still got DeMar Dotson, um, Jason Peters is out there. You know, 
uh, Cordy Glenn's out there. There's quite a few good offensive tackles still out there that you can you can use for a year. Um, get them on a cheap, you know, couple of million dollar deals um, and get those players in. So I, I think that's probably where Elway was thinking. I've looked at this draft. We need to address receiver. We did that. We've got to the third, fourth round. I don't really like too many of these guys all that much. I'll probably just go and spend a bit in free agency. That's a good point. That's that's definitely a great point. There's a lot of guys that are still out there. My only concern is maybe there's a reason. You know, perhaps there is a reason that these guys are still out there. Their teams had a lot to to see in them, and maybe their contract demands kind of outweighed their current level of production. But I just hope that uh, these guys can get through a, a season injury free, and that we don't see a situation where we have half our offensive line injured because they're all 35 years old and we're halfway into a season and Drew Locke is a play from getting hurt all over again. So yeah, yeah, I I, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, Tamar Dotson, for example, has been on Tampa's line, I think since the cold war, Um, (laughs) maybe when independence (laughs) happened in the U S he's been there for, he's been there for I don't know, 50 years, it seems like, maybe longer. And um, I tell you now, he, he's fit. There's nothing wrong. He, his production has dropped off. Like, he's not he's not anywhere near where he was. Otherwise, he'd have got a, a deal. But I think the team just decided to move on because he, what, he, what he was getting, they weren't going to get him on a cheap deal. And uh, he knows he's on the last legs of his career. And um, I think that's a guy you can get for a couple of million bucks. And, you know, he's not. He's not the best right tackle I've ever seen, especially now, but he's also not the worst. I think he's, you know, he's, he's average, which I think is, there's something in being an average offensive lineman. I think he, at times he's going to get beaten by younger guys and he's going to get a little bit bullied, but you know, you've got Drew Locke. You, you don't need that long. As you say, you've got all this speed now with your tight ends, with the wide receivers. I don't think you need a guy who's going to be the biggest disruptor. I think you just need someone who's competent and knows what they're doing, who pick up the book, just go, right, okay, I know what I need to do. Um, and I see the Broncos signing a couple of those guys um, on one-year rentals and then and then attack it next year in the draft. I, it's, I tell you, it's got to be an exciting time to be a Denver fan because there's a lot of exciting players there on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Um, and if they can all come together, you know, they're, they're a, a real shout to make the playoffs this year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the first time in a long time that I can actually see this team potentially going 10 and 6 or better. Yeah, no, I agree. I'd be, I'd be happy with that. It would be a good return on investment in the draft. Before we get to your 2019 season, Etan, why don't we uh, ask you the final ice-breaking question of the intro, and that is, what advice would you give to our listeners who want to talk about, write about their passion, whether it be creating a jumper through knitting or model trains or talking about fantasy football or yachting or weather watching, whatever it is. Yachting. Yeah, I, I added a new, threw a couple of new ones in, Murph. Yachting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, man, I, I'm hardly in a position to give uh, other people advice on, on doing this. I'm not sure I'm as good as uh, what it would take to, to be able to dole out advice that actually improves somebody else. But I would just say that, I mean, there is thinking about it and, and there is planning it out and, and there's doing it. And at the end of the day, if you're not actually getting out there and getting in reps and if you want a podcast, if, if you're not actively guesting on shows or creating your own show or creating a script or anything like that, then, then you're not necessarily doing it. It's not 10,000 hours spent on something that makes you good at that thing. Uh, one of our recent guests, um, I believe this was Graham Barfield, <clears throat> uh, essentially brought up a, a quote from, from somebody that I, I forget, but the quote essentially was, it's not 10,000 hours spent on doing something. It's 10,000 iterations of of doing that thing, 10,000 different ways of doing that thing that makes you an expert in whatever it is that you want to do. So if you want to write, get writing, start writing. doesn't matter if it's good. doesn't matter if it's coherent and competent at all. Just get it out there. And the next day, try to do something better. And the next day, try to do something better. And that way, um, you will see a steady improvement. And if you put out good work, uh, good people will find you. And, and that's kind of the, 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 the model you have to live by to, to be able to have the sanity uh, that it needs to continue 
uh, putting your heart and soul into something that you may not be seeing um, rewards from immediately. Just just do it. Just do as much as you can and, and, and results will follow. I love that because you've quoted one of my favorite books, which is by Malcolm Gladwell, which is about the 10,000 hours principle. And then Perfect. I think the quote was Edison. And I think it was around, I found 10,000. It's not the fact that it's like 10,000 things. I just found 10,000 different ways that this won't work. Um, so yeah. this, is, this is why I speak to people smarter than me, like Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about that. I just, uh, I read a lot of Malcolm Gladwell books, uh, good on psychology and uh, ways to approach things. So uh, yeah, I, I can't take that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome so 2019 um how'd your fantasy season go in dynasty and redraft how did how'd you get on what were the highlights um it depends can i curse on the show <laughs> <laughs> uh it, it went i mean probably better than it should have gone but no championships for me in 2019, which kind of seems to be the theme, I, I tend to always be uh, the, the, the the bridesmaid, never the bride in these situations. And as much as, you know, you can look back on that season and say, oh, you know, it's a quality season. I got to where I needed to get in, in terms of uh, getting in the playoffs and advancing in the playoffs and all that. If you're not winning, uh, you're, you're, you're losing. I mean, Ricky Bobby said it best. If you're not first, you're last. And that's kind of the way that I have to view Dynasty Leagues. So for me, what I found was I would have a lot of these teams that get to um, where they need to get to in the playoffs. But for whatever reason, that week, I'd either be down an important player or uh, all of the guys that I had on my roster would go off the boil for that particular week. And I would just find myself in a situation where I probably had the superior team, but didn't necessarily pull it out. So 2019 was was a year of disappointments for me, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think quite a few people we've spoken to and stuff didn't win as many championships as perhaps they should have. It seemed to be the year of the, not the underdog, or I, I can't think of the word I want to say, but the player who was maybe less prepared seemed to found themselves within the playoffs and championships, maybe more this year than I think I've seen in, in the last few years. Definitely. It was interesting. I mean, players like Todd Gurley who hadn't necessarily been giving you what you wanted all season, like went off during uh, the last couple of weeks and whatnot, and just totally derailed uh, the teams of, of others who, who perhaps might've stayed away from him. Uh, for the majority of the season there yeah there were a lot of situations like that Fair. yeah so let's let's move on to the 2020 draft then and talk about some of the guys who who came off the board who who was your number one qb was it was it burrow like everyone else or did you have a different take on it uh if two attack of Bailoa, tongue of Bailoa, i don't even know what commentators are saying at this point i think they're half making it up as they go but <laughs> tua we're just gonna go with that tt okay so he would have been my qb1 had he been healthy had it been confirmed that he was healthy um, because I don't think we've seen accuracy like this in, in a very, very long time. Yes. Maybe he lacks a little bit of arm strength, but Joe Burrow doesn't have the strongest arm in the world either. So I don't think that that is uh, really a chasm between the two of them. And to attack has a, a longer body of work to judge him from than, than really what Joe Burrow has uh, Burrow was Burrow for, for one season. Tua has been Tua since he stepped in and won a national championship as a freshman replacing Jalen Hurts in the game. So I do think that now, given the fact that the Miami Dolphins spent the draft capital that they did on him, given the state of the Miami Dolphins team, I'm probably still picking Tua Tagovailoa before Joe Burrow in most rookie drafts. Now, that's not to say that I don't believe – in Joe Burrow. If you've ever listened to the the Dynasty Diagnostic, you know how big of a fan I am of Tyler Boyd and of that offense as a whole. Joe Burrow was walking into a great situation, but I believe Tua is as well. If you look at the Miami Dolphins roster, Mike Gusecki is still there, just boatloads of untapped potential, essentially going to be a slot receiver this year in a tight end's body. So that's something to look forward to. Devontae Parker, uh, he had the sixth year breakout we were all expecting, you know, so he's, <laughs> he's definitely going to be uh, there to, 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 to help him out a little bit. 
they still got Preston Williams, who if he comes back from injury in the same way uh, that he was playing before the injury, then he's going to be a, a decent start as well. And they drafted offensive line uh, after picking Tua. So they did things to shore up that team in a way that makes sense. They didn't even go after a high pick at running back, which just shows me that that front offense really knows what it's doing. And if you look at what they were able to bring in both during the draft and before, I mean, their CBs, their defensive backs have to be one of the best units in the league after what they were able to put together. So I expect a good defense as well. The presence of Ryan Fitzpatrick even allows Tua to heal if there is still concern about him being uh, not 100% ready to play uh, contact NFL football yet. So there's a lot to like with what the Dolphins have done in this draft, how the Dolphins have constructed that team, and how that GM and coach tandem uh, thinks when uh, just kind of disseminating uh, their motives from what they've actually done, what they've actually put together when they've had to make decisions uh, involving money and involving picks. So I think that there's a, a very, very positive um, path for, for Tua to show why he was so highly coveted for so long, um, despite whatever injury issues that you might have with him. But I, I do think Joe Burrow is going to be uh, a top 12 quarterback uh, sooner rather than later. And I think he can, uh, definitely vaults himself into that top eight, top nine dynasty range by this time next season, uh, if all things go accordingly. Yeah, I, I don't dispute Tua's upside uh, at all. I just, I guess for me, so someone, funny enough, um, a friend of ours, Charlie, um, he got in touch with me today and he was like, I'm picking one one in a dynasty draft. My other quarterbacks are Marcus Mariota, and Phil Rivers, and I need a quarterback, and I really, really can see the upside in Tua, and I was like, I, and I get it, but can you afford to miss on Tua in a Superflex draft with the 101-102, and I think that's, we talk about the rule of 16 on here so often, which is the likelihood that the player is going to play 16 games. And I th- we had this conversation with Stocks last night because we had the 102 in a dynasty pick, in a dynasty super flex. And we ended up trading the 102 in a 20, 21 second for Russell Wilson. And I know Stocks wasn't overly pleased. And I was like, well, I just know with Russell Wilson, I can plug and play him for five years and we're set. Like he's, he's there. Like I'm not going to worry. And I think Joe Burrow is kind of the same. Would it surprise me in five years time if Tua remains healthy, and that's the big if, that Tua outperforms Burrow, absolutely not. But as you say, Joe Burrow has every chance of being a top 12 quarterback and in a super flex at the 101. Can you afford to put that kind of risk into Tua? In a, in a redraft, in a redraft, in a single, uh, single QB dynasty, I can totally buy the logic of going Tua over, over Joe Burrow. But with the 101 on the line, knowing that you've got no better chance, that's where I struggle. Well, I mean, here's here's the issue: Would you rather have Olivier Giroud or Robin Van Persie? I mean, what's more, what's more your style there? Because Olivier Giroud is going to be there every season. He's going to be uh, a decent player. He's going to be relatively healthy. Uh, Robin Van Persie is going to miss a lot of games. He, he's not going to necessarily be the most consistent player but when he burns he burns brightly and I think that's the difference between both of these quarterbacks I think like you were saying uh, Joe Burrow definitely does have the edge on being um, a top 12 quarterback uh, off the cuff and, and, and doing that for a long time but I mean I'm I'm shooting for ceiling uh, most often in, in dynasty drafts and, and anything that I'm really doing in dynasty because ultimately ceiling gets you wins you know, those other guys that are going to be relatively decent for you, they, they do it for you as well, but they get you to be the bridesmaid rather than the bride. They get you in those situations where you don't just quite have enough to get over the hump. So I'm not worried about missing as much as I'm worried about missing out when it comes to looking at these two quarterbacks. So I can see where you're coming from with um, the safety in, in, in Joe Burrow. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with, you know, even potentially considering that he has great upside as well. I just think that 
uh, with the way the Dolphins are currently constructed, again, with the offensive line additions they've made, with the way that GM and coaching staff is running that team, um, I, I have a lot of faith in, one, their ability to evaluate whether or not Tua was a safe pick where they got him. That tells me that he's healthier than maybe most people think. And then two, um, the longer resume that he has in college really resonates with me. And that I totally 100% buy. So that's, that's quarterbacks covered. Let's move on to the rock carriers, the running backs. Who did you have as your top three and has that changed after the draft? Oh, oh, uh, running backs are, ah, man. There isn't often uh, situations uh, in dynasty leagues where you find that everybody's landed in a decent spot. <laughs> And this was one of those rare years where it just seems like that's the case. Everyone that you wanted to go somewhere specifically went to that team. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, to Kansas City. Uh, he was probably in about number two, number two-ish on my board before the draft. Um, that's a perfect landing spot for him. Jonathan Taylor behind uh, that ridiculous offensive line in Indianapolis is going to run over people. Uh, if you can afford to wait, I think um, half a season to three quarters of a season for J.K. Dobbins, uh, the Ravens' uh, rushing uh, success rate is, is absolutely off the charts, what the, the holes that they're able to create for their running backs because of the threat of Lamar Jackson makes things so much easier. So, yeah, I would have to say that before it was looking at uh, Jonathan Taylor 1, CEH 2, and then I actually had Swift number three, but based on landing spots, I would I would still have to say Jonathan Taylor is my one. I think Ceh is a strong two, um, and then the J.K. Dobbins would be my third because any running back in, in that uh, Baltimore offense is going to be absolutely insane. I've had Gus Edwards the past couple of seasons, and that's just been seven hundred free yards of. of, of nothing that I really had to invest in him just because of what that Ravens team is able to do on the ground. So just imagine somebody with the same amount of juice, if not more juice than Mark Ingram in that system. It's, it's going to be ridiculous. This is one of those years that I'm generally a, a fan of selling picks and I've sold a lot of picks uh, before the draft this year. And I'm, I'm actually sad about it uh, for the <laughs> first time in a long time. Yeah, it's definitely a, a a good rookie class this year. Um, I can't disagree with your your three. They're my three uh, at, after the draft. Um, in Hilaire edges it for me just because of the landing spot, followed by Taylor versus followed by Dobbins. So I'm glad that we are on the same page. That makes me feel pretty good about myself. Stocks, I have a feeling you you're somewhat a little different on that. Yeah, I. I'm just all on the Ravens running backs. And I think Dobbins is going to surpass Mark Ingram really quickly. I'm not sure you're going to have to wait three quarters of a season. And and it is purely on the fact that I think he wins the job faster than perhaps you guys do that. I have Dobbins as my one and then Edwards Hilaire and then Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor scares me a little bit with Marlon Mack still in the equation. I know he's much better than Marlon Mack and Marlon Mack gets injured and doesn't follow the rule of 16. However, He's still there. And whether he, I don't know what the cap situation at all is for Marlon Mack and whether he is there at the beginning of the season, I'm not sure. Well, he's gone, he's, he's gone in a year either way. Okay. So he, there is a bit of risk to, to Taylor in the sense that they could just run the wheels off Mack because it's the final year of his, of his deal. And that yeah. could happen. But Mack doesn't do well with a full workload. Um, exactly. So maybe that's what they do. Maybe maybe Dobbins and Taylor take the ball at the same sort of time. They they destroy Mack for the first half of the season and then he's got nothing left to give and Taylor steps in and, and Dobbins just proves that he's much better than Mark Ingram at this point and steps in as well. So maybe I should have Edward Teller as my... Although then Williams is at, at Kansas City as well. And how yeah, Damien Williams and Marlon Mack are kind of the two guys that people aren't thinking about in those backfields, but they can definitely... Uh, play a role. In fact, we've only seen um, Marlon Mack as the RB1 for the last couple of seasons. Uh, he's only uh, taken about 52% of the running back, uh, at least on the ground work, uh, not including targets. So I expect there to be some type of um, pretty even split between him and, and Taylor as well. And, and the same thing can be said for, for Damian Williams and CEH. I don't think he just goes away either. No, I think um, I think that's definitely true. I think with Ceh, the the role's pretty clear. 
Um, he's clearly going to be the catching back. They clearly use that role a lot. They did, you know, I think his role is quite defined and very easy to pick out. Um, and I think the same is true with, with Taylor and with with Dobbins. It's just I think with them maybe it's a bit more time. But I think as dynasty assets as well, I still keep them in that order just because I think all three, for me, that that's a tier. And I think you're not going to be too disappointed if you miss out on Hilaire and you get Taylor or you miss out on Taylor and you get Dobbins. I think if you get any one of those three, that's a good place to go. And I think I draw a line there and I think the next tier down is... I think there's a bit of a gap there to, and I wouldn't have said this necessarily at the start of the draft, but I don't like that landing spot for Swift as much as some people do. Um, and I think that's an issue. Cam Akers is a slight arrow up for me. The one who jumps up the biggest on my board is, is Keyshawn Vaughn. He's the guy that all of a sudden vaults up from, I think you had him about anywhere between 12 and 14 on my board pre-draft is now up to, to six or seven i think i've got him at six on my board now i think i had him about seven on my rookie i think i seven to nine something like that i think so i liked him a little bit and his landing spot's pretty good as well so let's talk some wide receivers any time who were your number three and have they changed um well cd lamb was one jerry judy was one b essentially and um after that i, I kind of threw my hands in the air the, this receiving class was was so deep that a lot of people went different ways. I tended to, to err on the side of Justin Jefferson just because I like Justin Jefferson's game. I assume that he could step in and, and be a Jarvis Landry with juice type of receiver and just give you those immediate PPR points, maybe in a way that uh, some of these other guys uh, could not necessarily. But, yeah, it's not just the running backs. You all landed in good spots. Mm. <laughs> Of the wide receivers landed in good spots too. Like this draft has been absolutely ridiculous for dynasty teams. Um, the number one wide receiver uh, this year for me, uh, based on opportunity though, is probably going to be Jalen Rager. Um, just because I, I don't think that they have any other guys to to really put a strain on his targets. I mean, Deshaun Jackson's going to come back. We don't know how many games he's going to last. You guys talked about the rule of 16. It might be the rule of four with Deshaun Jackson. Um, outside of that, Alshon Jeffrey, okay, maybe the rule of eight for him if you're lucky. Uh, and then outside of that, I mean, they don't have really anyone else um, other than those couple of tight ends that they're going to put into the mix as likely their option one and option two in Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. So I think he has the easiest path to targets. I like Justin Jefferson uh, as well as a player, although a lot of people are super high on his landing spot as well. I'm not saying his landing spot is bad because it's not. It's obviously a situation of need for the Minnesota Vikings, but Stephon Diggs had 94 targets last year. Stephon Diggs had 94 targets last year. I don't know if Justin Jefferson is on Stephon Diggs' level, I would assume that's not the case because Diggs obviously has a lot of uh, NFL experience uh, to put against what Justin Jefferson could do. But that's not a team that wants to be a high-volume passing offense. They were 30th, I believe, in the league in pass attempts last season. A lot of people are kind of down on Stefan Diggs, him moving from Minnesota to uh, Buffalo. But I'm I'm the reverse of that. Like, I can see – the argument about him maybe experiencing a drop-off in the uh, quality of his targets in, in accuracy from, from the QB, from uh, Kirk Cousins to Josh Allen, but the volume is definitely going to be there to offset it because the Buffalo Bills, um, they became more of a passing offense at the end of the season. They, they, they threw the ball like 33 times a game. Minnesota Vikings are, are stuck between 26 and 28 times a game, and they've been doing this consistently for a long time. The moment that they decide to re-sign Dalvin Cook to a long-term deal just, for me, would reaffirm what they plan to do with that offense, which is just to be a run-first offense. And if Adam Thielen's going to be healthy, again, Stephon Diggs only received 94 targets without even a healthy Adam Thielen last year, then how many targets are available for Justin Jefferson? Jerry Judy finds himself... Uh, in a situation where he's on a good offense, but he's surrounded by a lot of other players who you would expect to get a lot of other targets as well. Uh, Henry Ruggs 
uh, for me, was never going to be a volume receiver. Now he's surrounded, again, with a lot of competition at the wide receiver position. I think Brian Edwards is going to be the true number one out there. Denzel Mims finds himself in an interesting situation because he is uh, probably going to be the the, the one uh, of that offense immediately, which puts him in a little bit of a unique position as a rookie. But, I mean, if you're looking for something to take away from this wide receiving class and, and, and say that, you know, you're not enthused about it or you're not excited about what happened uh, with this particular prospect, I think you're going to have to keep looking this year because uh, the running backs weren't the only ones to land in just pristine situations. If I had to rank them, um, I would probably say that Reger is my one. Um, I, I maybe have uh, Jefferson as my two and then CD Lamb perhaps behind that. Um, but before the draft, yeah, it was it was Judy, Lamb, and then the pick of your lot, Justin Jefferson, was three for me, but you could have argued that either way. See, that's interesting, because I, I think from a dynasty perspective, not a lot changed from your top three, because I think Lamb is clearly on one of the better offenses he could land on, and uh, yeah, okay, you've got Cooper there, and you've got um, Gallup there, but... I think over time, with the way he runs routes, he's gonna he's gonna get his, and that's a high volume attack. I think they'll he can be sustained on that offense. Maybe it'll be a bumpy road this year, and I don't doubt that. I think Gallup will probably take more of his share, but there's clearly something in Gallup they're not overly sold on because they wouldn't have spent the capital on on Lamb. Judy, I think, is in a great spot. I think he probably ends up being the one there over time if he earns it. Um, but to have him and Sutton. And Noah Fan, I think, is just that's an incredible uh, opportunity there to to really make hay with. You, you talk about those three; those three with a quarterback in two years' time could be talked about in the same way that, um, or especially Sutton. I mean, it could be talked the same way that you're talking about Tampa Bay this year with with Evans, Godwin, and Gronkowski. Like that, it's 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 potentially that good um, of a passing attack. Um, I, I like Jefferson's landing spot because I think he'll earn the volume because I think Adam Feeling is going to struggle to stay fit. He's had injuries a couple of years in a row. I think he could get that volume up. Yeah, I don't think he's getting north of 100 targets, but I think he'll break runs with that. I mean, Sticks had nearly 1,400 yards last year. I think uh, Jefferson could put in similar amount of production um, once he sort of mastered it. So the, the big faller for me, though, in – in my rankings was um, the Viscous Chenault. Oh, that I was knew the, you were going to say that. I knew it. I just knew it. Because that landing spot's horrible. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it is. I don't disagree. Really? <laughs> I, I vehemently disagree with that. Really? I just, I just don't rate that landing spot. I don't rate it because, you know, when was the last time Jacksonville had a fantasy-worthy wide receiver one? It just doesn't happen. And, you know, they're going to have question marks at, at quarterback for the next couple of years. Yes, okay, Minchu might hold it this year, and that's fine. And he might win the job throughout. But, uh, you know, DJ Chark was, you know, the wide receiver 13. That's the closest it's been um, to them having a fantasy wide receiver for as far as I can remember. And DJ Chark's not going away. So I, I can't see Chenault. I, that 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 offense does not produce enough to to justify having two wide receivers and there being top 12, top 15, even top 24 selections. That's why I just don't think Chenault is going to matter unless DJ Chark gets, gets dealt with, which he could. He could just get traded away. And if that happens, then, then I'll change my mind. But he needs that to happen in order to get anything sustainable out of there. Yeah, I don't think it's a it's a move for this year. I mean, if you look at the depth chart, if you look at what they actually have at wide receiver, they just let Marquise Lee go. So that's a spot uh, that needed to be filled. Uh, D.D. Westbrook, I, I believe, is only signed for another season. Um, I think they have another receiver on the roster, again, that's only signed for one more season after this one. So ultimately, um, yeah, I think it's a depth move for them. So I don't necessarily see LaVisca being a, a very heavily targeted receiver this year. That said, long term, there's nobody else on that roster. And if this offense is going to improve at all, uh, it's going to need to take uh, other targets to to be able to elevate Minshew to the level to actually make that uh, a little bit more of an offensive powerhouse than we've seen recently. That offense is awful. So for me, there's really nowhere to go but up. And, and for that reason, I think Chenault found himself in a situation where 
he does not have a lot of competition when it comes to targets. So if that offense improves, it's going to directly correlate to, to, to him being an improved fantasy asset over time. It's just going to be one of those situations where you might have to wait a year, year and a half for, for it to materialize. See, that's where you and I disagree, because I think there is one place to go for the Jacksonville offense, and that's in exactly the same place it is now. <laughs> Very possible. Very possible. I, I think until Doug Marone and Gary, uh, uh, you know, Dave Caldwell get fired, and it might be this year, but the fact they haven't been fired yet, I'm not holding hope that those two are, are getting fired anytime soon. Because Dave Caldwell is single-handedly the worst GM. <laughs> I would say probably ever, but... I, I don't have knowledge of GMs as well in the, in the 70s and 80s, but he's up there. In the modern era, he's probably the worst GM that we have, from a win-loss record alone, if nothing else. So I can't see him, I think until that changes and they pretty much gut and start again, and then that's when I'll change my mind on Chenault. But as soon as that regime, if that regime stays, that's a talent just waiting to be wasted. It's, it's certainly not great. If you happen to be a half-decent player on Jacksonville, uh, management has found a way to piss you off. I feel like they revel in doing that and, and trading away their best players and, and all the rest of it. So I, I can't fault you with that one. Well, here's, here's what the funny thing on Jacksonville. I don't know if you know this stat, um, or listeners know it, that from their um, 2017 AFC championship defense, only three players remain. <laughs> yeah, they definitely... Uh, In two years. They, they found the way to Jalen Ramsey's heart for sure. <laughs> So two years they got rid of everybody on their defense. It's just that is insane. Like that's absolutely nuts. So anyway, I think I think for me on on Chenault as well, the fact he's on a Jags team, and let's say the London games go ahead, which they probably won't if if this year, but the Jags are here twice. So so I can get myself a Chenault shirt, wear it twice this year to American football games. My man crush on him is still alive, and I'm all happy. It's it's win win. <laughs> so Ethan, man, let's let's finish up with tight ends. Um. Uh, there isn't really three, but do you have three that you think is going to be relevant? Uh, I struggle to find one that I think is going to be relevant anytime soon. Okay, uh, let's go with one. To be completely honest with you. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, I struggle. So I'm not even sure if I have that one for you. Um, I think Hunter Bryant's interesting. I think Albert Obugmanam's interesting. I think Adam Troutman is interesting. Uh, I think Cole Komet you know, landing on the Bears with the other ten tight ends is <laughs> not interesting. Outside of them, uh, hang on, hang on. They've got nine now. They cut one yesterday. Oh, there we go. Okay, positive <laughs> direction. I thought they were just going to convert them all to O linemen at this point, or maybe just let one of them play quarterback, and, and that'll be better for them. So. But yeah, but yeah, the, the tight ends it generally takes uh, about three to four seasons for tight ends to break out. Anyway, if you're not Kittle or Ingram or Noah Fant, um, but that's in a good situation. That's in a decent situation. None of these tight ends really found themselves um, on teams that really need their services all that much immediately. So um, I don't think that any of these tight ends are going to break out anytime soon. And I think next year's class is going to be a lot more interesting at tight end. And this is a bit of a downturn from what we've seen uh, from the tight ends uh, recently. I just don't understand with this tight end class, why you don't just trade for OJ Howard. And maybe that's just me holding on to a lot of OJ Howard shares that I'm still upset about. Is am I right in thinking that Trey Burton threw the prop pass in the in the Philly special? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so he should have been starting quarterback. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Guys. They shouldn't have got rid of him. They should have plugged him in under center, used the cheap money, and well, he's and, been cut, hasn't he? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Don't cut him. <laughs> he's no, he's your quarterback. <laughs> he's obviously accurate. I tell you, I tell you, I have a tight end breakout for next year who I think is going to be. Um, phenomenal it's Bryson Hopkins I love that landing spot to to the Rams that's the guy for me Bryson Hopkins I think is going to be the guy that that's the only tight end I want in this class I don't want any of them I don't need any of the others all about Bryson Hopkins I think he's interesting I think he beats out the other two tight ends maybe not this year but I think he will um I I think he's good and on the Rams offense yeah I love it I think he's going to be I think he's going to be great Maybe not this year, but next year. He's a, he's a late-round dynasty stash for me. Rams are going to run uh, just an insane amount of 12 this year, um, and I expect both tight ends to be used heavily in that offense. However, only one of those tight ends is signed long-term. Only Higby is signed long-term. Gerald Everett is in the last year 
of his rookie deal, and I don't hey, see them uh, re-signing him. So, yeah, there might be a pathway to opportunity there uh, if you're willing to hold out just for a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, Rams offense – Look, talking about this offense two years ago is night and day from talking about this offense now. Um, and it's just crazy how quickly those things can change because they look like the second coming. They look like what the Chiefs um, are now, and it, it just all fell apart so drastically so quickly. And I just I, I hope that doesn't happen again. No, I, I completely agree. Um, it's going to be an exciting season. I can't wait. I mean <sighs> – I really hope we just get started on time because now we've had the draft and like that's all we've been pouring our energy into. I'm a bit like I just I just want the season to happen. I more than anything, it's it's killing me not having a a, a soccer season right now because um, it's so unusual and not having any sport at all. And it's just really it's good that we can still talk about these things and and still hope and and, and think that they're going to happen, which is which is awesome and. Um, we're going to have to cut this one a little, I'm not sure, but we've, we've talked so much about the draft and everything. Um, be really great if we can have you on, um, you know, in about a month's time, if we, if we can get you back on and talk about some dynasty strategy, because I know that that's something that our listeners will really, really um, want to talk about. So hopefully we're able to do that with you, uh, Ethan. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love it. I'm always open. You, you have my DM. So hit me up and I'll be back. Amazing. Love that, love that. So, buddy, why don't you uh, you let Rush Nation know where they can find you, your podcast, and all your work? Well, I would just encourage uh, Rush Nation to, to to grow. I mean, you guys have a really good thing here. Um, definitely tell your friends, tell your friends' friends. You know, just like the the pandemic spreads, go ahead and spread the five yard rush out to everybody that might be in your uh, in your area, and, and they'll be the better for it. But if you're looking for me, I don't know why you would be, but if you are. Uh, you can find me at Dino Diagnostic uh, on Twitter. You can find me at Aton Alive for the next seven to ten days before I decide to change my uh, <laughs> username again. Uh, and uh, and yeah, you can just go ahead and search for Aton Mosia. You can find a whole bunch of bad Dynasty content on assorted sites uh, yeah. on on Google. So just just look at that as well. You have great content, my man. You've sold yourself short there. Um, <laughs> you. You're good at what you do. I love your podcast. It's entertaining. It's a lot of fun. And you keep Stompy in check most of the time, which is no mean feat. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the most important thing, you know? I I feel like I get credit for doing a lot more. Like no no nobody understands how difficult that part of the job is. I'm just playing. I love the guy. <laughs> oh, he's incredible. He's a big fan of, you know, we're a big fan of his and everything he's done. He's been on before when he's long overdue to come back on. So we'll get him on at some point. Um, but it's just, as always, a, a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, definitely, Rush Nation, listen to the Dynasty Diagnostic podcast. Find Ethan's work. It's it's brilliant. You'll um, you'll learn a lot. Um, because he, he, you, the way you explain things, I think he's great because – I always find with with dynasty writers, especially, they kind of assume that there's this base level of understanding that maybe, you know, some people over here don't have. And I think you you don't take that assumption. You kind of put things in a way that just makes sense from regardless of if you played the game for a year or a week or 10 years. It just works. So uh, massive kudos to you, man, because it's awesome. Much appreciated, man. Much appreciated. Well, thanks for coming on, buddy. We will chat real soon about some uh, Dynasty strategy. Rush Nation, you stay safe out there. Keep washing those hands. But for today, that's Etan Mosier. He's Adam Murph, and I'm Chris Mitchell. This has been 5 Yard Rush, and as always, don't forget, keep rushing. can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 